Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, China might be buying your local cinema, Iron Man gets more villains, and they aren't Andy Lau, and we look at the films The Floating City and The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Tuesday, May 22nd, 2012, approximately 9.40ish in the evening, Hong Kong time. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super-secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, how are you doing? Doing all right. got to say, I'm kind of mad, right? Diablo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you see my and, tweets? Oh yeah, and your and your rant on Google oh, Plus. You know, so for for those of you who are gamers out there, Diablo three came out uh, last week at some time, and I I thought, oh, I, you know, I'm interested to play it. I like the original Diablo. I didn't get through Diablo two, and so I went out, went to Sham Shui Po, went to the usual shops, and everybody was sold out. And I thought, well. You know why am I why am I going around in the heat hunting for this game? It's overpriced. It's like U.S. twenty dollars more in Hong Kong than the online version for download. So I was like, you know, I've already got a Blizzard account from when I played World of Warcraft. I'll just go online, buy the download version, play it, have fun. So I did that on Saturday, downloaded it, um, got it installed. Everything was looking good. Playing it for a couple days, and I wake up this morning and I get a message from Blizzard saying, "Sorry." Uh, your purchase was not processed, and the game has now been uh, reverted to, uh, I forget what they call it, it's, uh, it's like the basic version, right? You can only play, it's like, it's like a, a beta, you can only play a little bit of it, and then, you know, they, you can't go, go all the way to the end. It asks you to buy the official version. I was like, well, I already did that. So I had to go on uh, tech support, I tried calling them, uh, I tried calling uh, on Skype, went through... Um, you know, the, the standard menu options to try and get a person on the phone. And it said, sorry, um, all the lines are busy at this time. Please call back later. And it would cut me off. Um, so I filled out an online ticket and said, We're gonna, we'll get back to you maybe in 48 hours. Haven't heard anything back. Now, normally I'm a pretty patient guy. But this is sort of a new model that's being tried out. And it's interesting because it sort of touches on other forms of media I mean, I know this isn't a video game show, but it's, you know, it touches on ideas about movies, it touches on idea about ebooks, and, and other things that you can buy um, over the net, and that you make a purchase and then have it, but yet somebody else still maintains control over it, okay? So I had, I had purchased the game, it was the full game, had downloaded it, installed, my account was verified and everything, it's just at some point later, Blizzard decided, well, sorry, we're not going to verify your account. We're going to take the game away from you now. We're going to cut off your access to it. And that feeling really angered me for some reason. You know, here I was, I'm, I'm, I'm trying out this 
you know, sort of the, the, the next step in media consumption. And the, one of the reasons they say that Blizzard is doing this is because it's to, you know, prevent piracy. It's a new form of DRM. But at the same time, I'm a legitimate person. I'm sitting here saying, this is who I am. You know, this is my identity. I've worked with you before. I've consumed your product before. And yet it's not good enough. And I'm cut off from the system. And I know the problem is it's, it's a security issue that they have because my account is a U.S.-based account and I'm accessing it from overseas. I've had trouble with them before when I played World of Warcraft. I would always, every so often, I'd have to go back in and re-verify my identity, change my passwords and everything, because they see that my account is being accessed from the outside of the U.S. My, my beef is, is that I don't have this trouble with any other media companies. You know, um, I've had a very good, stable iTunes account for years now. You know, I had problems early on with them, um, but they worked out their issues. Same with Amazon. Sure, I can't stream movies from Amazon because of the region coding issues, um, you know, and access, and I understand that, but I'm able to buy movies from them, and I'm able to buy ebooks from them. No problem. So this kind of thing just really irritates me. It annoys me to no end, and it, it, it crushes my faith going <laughs> forward, you know, in systems like this. And the problem is, is that there are systems out there that works. I mean, I've used... So I've made some purchases through Steam before. Um, I've made lots of purchases on my Xbox. And I've never had something that I've purchased taken away suddenly. And I know I've talked to some other people. I had some uh, one guy comment on my rant today. He said he had a similar issue with his Kindle where he didn't verify his, his U.S. address or something and Kindle uh, removed an, an, an e-book that he had purchased because it was considered out of region or something. And I think... You know, it's time we get on and we move beyond this. But I, I know I'm in the minority. I know that I'm a uh, on the fringe of of the people that they're providing content to. So they don't really need to care uh, about you know people like me as much. But very angry, and I still haven't had the issue resolved. I don't don't know if I'm going to have the issue resolved, and I'm not sure I really want to fight with it anymore. Um, I've read on some forums other people in Europe. And other parts of Asia having the same issue that I'm having. Um, so it's not an isolated incident for sure. But it's just something that makes me think, oh, you know, you guys are trying to be progressive. And at the same time, you're not. You're, you're still stuck in, in sort of hardcore old school don't steal our stuff mode to the extent where it's really, it, it's, it's hurting the legitimate players, you know. Makes me say, oh, so, you know, why am I bothering to give the, these guys money and since they don't seem to want my money in the first place? Mm. So I don't know. I guess wow. I guess you're lucky you're not a gamer. Well, I, I just down actually I while you were talking, I took out my iPad and checked make sure that my Kindle purchase from two days ago actually downloads on my iPad to make sure it all works. So mm. <laughs> so thankfully, yeah, you got me a little worried there that you know. <laughs> but see, this is the work. thing. This is the thing, right? I mean, everything's about the cloud. This is a new form of, of so called cloud gaming that to play Diablo three, unlike Diablo two and Diablo one, you have to have a constant internet connection. You know, so that they can constantly provide you with content. It's not really an online game like, you know, Warcraft or Star Wars or some of the online games. But it's this same idea that you need to be connected and they're monitoring what you're doing, how much time you're playing and making sure you are who you are. Um, and, and, and again, in part, it's a DRM issue. But at the same time, they have that power to snatch that away from you. You know, at, at any moment without, you know, the, the email I got, it's it gave me no reason or rhyme as to why. 
Um, again, I know it's not a problem with my credit card because I've made several purchases on Amazon and other places with that same credit card. Um, today, I've never had a problem with it. So it's just, you know, one of these things that, that makes you think about the nature of being a consumer and content and ownership. And I'm thinking, you know, in, in the future, if you have a cloud-based library, you know, what, what are they going to do? I mean, I remember, I don't know, it was last year or a couple years ago, there was the, the issue with Amazon where they apparently had released a bunch of books that people thought were public domain, but Amazon didn't really have the rights to them. And so Amazon just pulled them and suddenly hundreds of titles were gone from people's Kindles. And these were titles that people were using in college and high school and they had already had, you know, loads of notes on and things that they were actually dependent on for assignments and they just vanished. And, you know, it makes me rethink th this idea of, you know, actually owning a physical piece of media on the bookshelf versus the cloud where maybe you don't really own it, even though you yes. think you do. Yes, that's what I mean about having the physical thing. I mean, as great as, as convenient as you have these things, when you put everything digital, you don't really own it, right? Yeah. They still have the power to take it away from you. It's too easy. You know, if you own something phys physically, you have it. And, you know, just like movies. Um, mm. I don't like knowing that I buy a movie from iTunes or I buy a movie digitally that, you know, my hard drive breaks or if my... Um, if Apple decides they don't have the right or some other reason, or they decide that I have other pirated material on my computer and decide to swipe it all away and then dare to go like, like that, it's gone. Yeah. You know, I don't like that feeling of losing control of my own property. Yeah. Oh, it unless I set fire to my shelf. I mean, that's, that's different. That's my fault. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, at least that's my, that's my, my choice. You're you a book I mean? burner. <laughs> oh, only, only the books, the, only the books of Wang Jing. Oh, okay. I guarantee. Yes. That's okay. <laughs> so anyway, that was my, my very angry day that I've had started from this morning. But other than that, everything's been going fine. How have you been, sir? I've been really good. I'm in a really good mood, yeah, that's, actually. That's good. Really good mood. Um, work, yeah. work is going well, and everything's uh, good on that front. You've gotten, you've gotten, have you finished all of your, uh, your uh, translations? Oh, the weekend's been great. I finished, I, I finished my translation uh, Friday night, and I had a, I had a good date Saturday night, and then uh, and then what? we watched what? Oh, I have a date, and then and we watched them watch movies on Sunday, and it's been really good. So, Kevin had a date. Kevin had, had a, a date. date. Had a date. <laughs> yes, it's like Sex in the City out here. I swear. <laughs> yeah, did she say this? Smells like a baby. <laughs> Funny enough, she did. Oh, we had a date with Kate Zoe. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, well, we've got some stuff to talk about today. We're going to be talking about some news and some movies. What films are we going to be covering? Uh, today for East Screen, we'll be covering the floating, uh, not the, just Floating City, the latest film from uh, Hong Kong New Wave director Yim Ho, starring Aaron Kwok. And for West Screen, we'll be covering um, the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. All right. All of that and a little bit more coming up right after a little bit of news. <laughs> All right, uh, just a couple news stories this week. Uh, first up, a little bit of more of Iron Man news. Uh, since the Avengers is doing so extremely, extremely well, we thought we would keep the momentum going by doing uh, Iron Man news every week. No, just kidding. But this is a little bit of Iron Man news that's come up. Um, apparently, Iron Man 3 
is adding James Badge Dale as another villain. Now, we've talked previous in previous weeks about some Andy Lau rumors. Was he going to be a villain? Was he going to play the Mandarin? Uh, is he going to be a friend? Is he even in the movie? Um, I still don't... I haven't come across a source that seems to confirm or deny anything officially. Actually, I can... Um, I can come, but I, can, you, you, I was it. talking with you, and you, you said there are some Chinese sources out there that have... Uh, kind of put in a fairly certified word as to who's been contacted and who who hasn't. Yes. Um, but this particular article, um, coming from cinemablend.com, from Katie Rich, um, says that uh, there is this character um, that's going to be played by James Badge Dale, um, who's known for TV roles like The Pacific, uh, he was in The Departed, um, and he's going to be, he's in negotiations at least to play Savin, or, or Savin, a villain in the film. Um, I'm not familiar with that character. Um, some people are speculating that if this is yet another villain, um, I, they've already talked about the Mandarin, that uh, perhaps they might make the mistake of Spider-Man 3 or of um, Iron Man 2, in which there were too many villains uh, to focus on. So I, I'm not sure, but uh, I'd still like to see Andy Lau in this. I'm, you know, uh, Seven is not a... Uh, uh, one of the main villains I know knew of from when I, back when I used to read Iron Man in the early days. So, not really uh, exciting news for me. I'd be much more excited to see uh, Andy Lau's name attached. But we don't think that's going to happen now. Is that correct, Kevin? Or we don't have any official confirmation of anything like that. The official confirmation is that Sina Entertainment interview had an exclusive interview with Dan Mintz. He is the CEO of DMG Entertainment, which is the Chinese company that is making this movie co-producing this movie and he said that he has not contacted Andy Lau nor Minnie Yang um, but he said that he doesn't rule out the possibility of, of calling up Andy um, but actually and with Andy Lau just recently having a, a baby um, he's gonna be taking a t some time off it's been well known that he's gonna take some time off to be baby daddy um, he did confirm that he has talked to uh, Fan Bingbing so that's one rumor that's actually true uh, Liu Ye and um I can't think of the other actress, but yeah, I, I believe there's one more actor. So um, Liu Ye is the the actor from uh, you remember from Curse of Golden Flower, uh, City of Life and Death. Uh, I don't know who the third actress is. Um, I remember it's an actress, but anyway. So we know that Chinese stars are being contacted, but the Andy Lau and Minnie Yang rumor wasn't that, was it a Fan Bing Bing was Fan Bing Bing. Yes, that's been talked to. Yeah. But not confirmed. None of the Chinese stars are confirmed. Uh, but what is confirmed is that Andy Lau has not been contacted. Hmm. So despite what Apple Daily tells you, uh, it's not true. Yeah, interesting. Uh, the, this article here mentions uh, Guy Pierce, also uh, close to signing on as a, a scientist. Uh, you know, I was hoping he would re reprise his role from Lockout. Yeah, that would be great. Right? That'd be uh, great. <laughs> um, who knows? Maybe he'll be like a a rough and tough scientist with an attitude. Um, that's what, exactly what Iron Man needs, right? <laughs> um, anyway, more Iron Man 3 rumors to come as we get them, and hopefully something to do with Andy Lau uh, in the near future. Uh, next bit of news, dealing with uh, speaking a new language. Uh, this coming from Film Business Asia by Patrick Frader a little bit later, uh, came out last week on uh, May 17th. Uh, the article is entitled, Speaking a New Language, Changlish, uh, and it really goes on to talk about the sort of the emergence and the nature of English language Chinese movies. Um, you know, speaking about uh, going going back and talking about some of the earlier ones, 
claim, uh, stating that the Forbidden Kingdom was the most successful Chinese U.S. co-production to date. Is that true? Um, uh, which film is that again? Uh, you know, the Forbidden Jet Li, Kingdom? Jackie Chan. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I I don't remember how much it did, how well it did in uh, in China, but I think it. it I mean, it, it's one of the only ones actually. I mean, it did better than the Dragon Pearl starring uh, Sam Neill and 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 uh, Jordan Chan for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, it it goes on to talk about uh, some some uh, other ideas like uh, the Karate Kid, not the original, but uh, Jackie Chan's remake, um, and it says. But it also mentions local films like Let the Bullets Fly and Detective D and The Mystery of the Phantom Flame, um, stating that they could drum up a really big box office in China, but they were not selling or playing well abroad. Um, and with budgets rising, this is becoming a problem for Chinese film investors. Um, so, I mean, are, if I get the gist of this article, what they're saying is that they need to start looking more at doing what they're doing with Iron Man 3. Or that they need to make more Chinese movies where people are, te- you know, speaking English to appeal to the West. Um, I don't know. What What are your thoughts on this, Kevin? Do you have any? Well, actually, one one thing that they didn't really bring up is the the humongous success of Kung Fu Panda Two. Kung Fu Panda Two did better in China, I believe, than anywhere else in the world. I mean, it didn't do very well in America, but it, I think it's one. Of the, I think it's the highest grossing animated film of all time in China. Yeah. Um, and that that one I think uh, was a one better examples of you know Chinese culture or or you know uh, uh, Hollywood managed to do something about Chinese culture and seceding. Um, honestly, everything else is too. How do I say? It, it's they're too. Um, they're not any good. They've always been made with the with the idea that they to to make money. No one seems to ever you know care about the quality of story or the originality of the stories themselves. They all just seem to be buying into just mix a bunch of stereotypes together and throw it all together and whip it together and and just hope for the best. Um, it's too obvious of a cash in, mm-hmm. you know. Even even the Avengers, an obvious cash in, they still remember to make a good movie out of it. Yeah. You know, I mean that that's really is the most important thing. Not not only do you have to make something that is appeal to the audience, you have to make something that actually would satisfy the audience when they go into the theater. And I think that's one of the big problems that the why these co-productions have not been doing well. I mean, Britain Kingdom is literally insulting to Chinese people. If you think about it. Yeah. Um, well, the the article goes on to make a couple interesting points. It says in the past few years, non-natives working in China were primarily Hong Kongers and Taiwanese. The future, it seems, will involve more from across the pond. But I'm guessing when they talk about that, it's going to be, you know, they're not looking at bringing actors or even directors over, um, per se. They're looking more at production, right? And they're looking more at, um, you know, producers and financers. Yes. Actually, one thing that also we have to, I have to, I, I would like, I would bring up is that also from an American point of view, you can't just send send people there thinking, you know, with the with the idea that they're slumming in China, yeah, you know what I mean. Andrew Adrian Brody and and Tim Robbins, yes, they're in a Chinese movie, but they're in the movie made by the most successful Chinese director in history. They're in the new Feng Xiaogang movie, mm. and I think going in with that, going with the idea, taking the, the the industry seriously, you know, like um, 
uh, Looper, the the Rian Johnson movie uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, and Bruce Willis, you bring serious productions into China and not think of it as a cash-in, not not throw in, you know, Rob Cohen and, and Jan Debant doing Mulan, things like that. That's also very important. So that Chin- the Chinese film industry also needs to know that they're being respected. Yeah. And I think that's also very important. And that's what I'm hoping with the, the involvement of actors uh, in these respectable movies will will bring and that that will, I think uh, Iron Man three I think these kind of production where it seems like there's mutual respect would help um, make this happen I think make the co productions better and and make them more successful. You know, the, Kenneth brings in the chat room brings up a couple of interesting titles uh, with uh, Double Vision, the, the Taiwan film, and uh, Big Shot's Funeral from uh, a f- few years ago. Um, both yes. were, were, were pretty good films, as, as I remember. Yeah, actually, Sony is one of the more um, artistically um, um, successful uh, co-productions because they just provide the money. Sony, remember, they they, uh, they actually they paid for Kung Fu Hustle and CJ7 and also Double Vision, Big Shot Funeral. Um, they respected, I think, the local talents. They just gave the money and essentially let the local talents um, make the film with better production values. And yeah. I think that was a really good production model, but it was too early for its time. So, but it's too bad that Sony has since uh, pulled out of Asia. But you know, my my big fear is that we're going to get a lot more um, stuff like Flowers of War, where sure they're going to bring in somebody from the West, but it's going to be heavily laden with nationalistic themes. Or, I mean, if if enough money, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about a story in a minute talking about you know money coming from China uh, and having an impact on cinema. But if enough, if you know, if China ends up producing a, a big enough share of a film like Iron Man three, who's to say that they don't will say, well, we don't like the ending, so change it. Well, the investors always had these kind of control. The problem with Flowers of War is that it was made by an entirely Chinese production company, entire Chinese crew, a producer and a director who did not understand the taste of Western audiences. They think you bring in Christian Bale and it would, and, and, you know, big production value and it would automatically, um, 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 appeal to the West. They did not understand it. You know, a producer like Zhang Weiping, who, who is so bitter about his film failing the West that he, he blames underlying Japanese influence in Hollywood on the, on the failure of the film in America. When it was the problem is that no one is interested in seeing, a movie about the Nanjing Massacre. No yeah. one was interested about seeing eighty million dollars spent on that kind of movie. So it, it is a completely misunder, um, complete lack of understanding on China to the West. So it's kind of like a reverse of what happened with Hollywood in China. Is that now China doesn't understand the rest of the world? Mm. Um, so yes, that that problem can also also arise. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens in the future. It, it does. Ma- uh, Patrick writes here in one statement about uh, Kung Fu Panda, which I think is interesting too. From the article, it says. One of the biggest wake-up calls for Chinese filmmakers in recent years was the global success of animated film Kung Fu Panda, speaking about the original from 2008, is as it took cultural symbols of China and fed them back to global and Chinese audiences with an irreverent appeal that Chinese filmmakers might have struggled with. Um, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting perspective, and, and we've actually covered some stories in the past. I think it was around the time last year when China uh, Kung Fu Panda 2 came out in China, that there was some cultural backlash against it, right? That uh, there were some cultural critics saying, you know, oh, Chinese people shouldn't be supporting Kung Fu Panda because it's a Western creation, you know? And didn't they come out with, like, Kung Fu Rabbit or something? 
But well, but you know what? But you know what? That's really the national. That's pe- people. You know, we have, we have a phrase in China and Chinese that the grapes you can't eat are always sour. So in a way, <laughs> is now you see what I mean. So it, it it. But you know, the audiences in China paid with with their their money. Um, I'm looking at the the international box office charts for um, Kung Fu Panda Two. It made um, so it foreign the foreign total is five hundred million dollars. Ninety two million of those five hundred million came from China. Hmm. So that tells you, audience, yeah, okay, so nationalists can come on and go, why can't Hollywood do something better than us? We would do something, you know, like that. You can be bitter about it. Um, but the audiences, they they don't care. They just want to see what they want to see. They just want to see what they like. And they they pay, they, they, they show their vote with the dollars. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to uh, see how all this pans out if we end up getting more English language Chinese films or, you know, maybe I, I do think the West needs to bend a little bit. And it needs to get used to subtitles, and it needs to sort of join the rest of the world. Um, unfortunately, um, that may not happen, at least in the short term. Well, also, I also need to think. I also think that China needs to make better movies, but that's another. That's another time. Yeah. All right. Um, our third story this week, uh, also coming from Film Biz Asia, by Patrick Frader again. Uh, from uh, this is from yesterday, Monday, May twenty first. Uh, says. Uh, China's Wanda is going to pay 2.6 billion uh, for AMC. Now, this is the AMC Entertainment Inc., which is basically one of the the second largest cinema circuit in North America. Now, when they say North America, I don't know if they're including Canada. I don't yes. know if AMC is in- involved in Canada, but I know that there were a lot of AMC st- theaters in uh, where I lived in Florida for a while. Um, we've got AMCs here in Hong Kong, too. Um, it's all part of the same group, I'm assuming. Uh, no, no. The Hong Kong AMCs, actually, they did run the Hong Kong AMCs for a bit, and then uh, Echo, uh, Broadway, Broadway Cinema Chain took those over. Okay, so Broadway. But they've, they, they've, are they partners, or did they buy the, the sort of the logos and the, 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 the IP rights outright? No, they just bought it up. Yeah, they mm. bought up the, the entire operation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's under, which is why they share the same website or the same uh, similar design. Mm. Okay, um, but basically this is, you know, they're going to be um, buying up a lot of theaters stateside in both the U.S. and Canada. It says uh, AMC currently operates 346 theaters with 5,034 uh, 5, screens primarily in the U.S. and, yeah, and Canada. There, there it is right in front of my face. Duh. Um, <clears throat> these include, uh, of the 5,034 screens, uh, 2,336 3D screens and 120 eight IMAX screens. Uh, Wanda has 86 theaters and a total of 730 screens in China as well as a large scale stage show film production and distribution entertainment chains. Um, you know, I, I seem to remember like in the, in the 1980s when Japan was buying up all kinds of property and, and businesses in the States and there was this huge um, sort of backlash against Japan because it was, it was before the bubble popped and it was so successful. And, and I remember they were buying up uh, media companies and I think they bought up Rockefeller Center or some, you know, some big place. And a lot of people in the media were out, you know, decrying Japan. Uh, haven't seen a lot of the same stuff going on uh, with, with these kinds of acqu- acquisitions, but it seems to me that this lays the groundwork for something that could really, you know, have a lot more 
impact on the, the, the media that gets shown over there, right? Um, well, the, the thing is, Wanda, the Wanda CEO, Wanda Group has guaranteed that they, they're not thinking about distribution of Chinese cinema because they know that the trouble with Chinese cinema in America, and this direct, this is almost a direct quote, the, the, the problem, the trouble with Chinese cinema in America is not that it lacks distribution, it's that they lack quality. Mm. They lack they lack the audience um, or they lack the quality that won't match up to Hollywood. Actually, I think we're thinking too small when we think about um, distribution of cinema because Wanda Group is also a... Um, a property company. They they build property, mm. and and they're interested in building entertainment um, 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 complex. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're not they're not thinking distribution. They're thinking malls. Mm. They're thinking um, now they own AMC. They can they can build malls in America and throw an AMC theater in one of every one of their malls. Um, and I think that's really the bigger bigger picture here. Okay. Actually, also, um, but but uh, as I tweeted about an hour earlier. There's a rumor flying around that director Zhang Yimou has signed up with Wanda Group, which may mean that Wanda Group is heading into film production. Yeah, well, it already says here. It says, uh, you know, they have, uh, in addition to the screens they have in China, they have a large-scale stage show, film production and distribution, and entertainment chains. So, um, yeah, I mean... You know, if this, if we're, perhaps we're going back to the age of the iron rice bowl, right, where uh, the, the the state funds uh, shore up any losses that are uh, met by certain industries, and so you know they'll be able to push uh, Chinese movies over to AMC cinemas and in in the U.S. What do you well, think? The thing is AMC AMC already has a deal with China Line. China Line, um, China Line films, uh, the ones that are bring movies over to to North America, they have an exclusive deal with AMC. So actually, AMC is already are already AMC cinemas across China, uh, North America are already showing Chinese films. Uh, so I don't think that's really. And also, um, the fact that uh, um, Wanda is keeping the 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 management in AMC uh, uh, where they are, they are changing any of the 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 management uh, over AMC. I think that just shows that they're not really gonna rock the boat that quickly. Yeah. At least I think they're more interested in. Um, I think it's more like AMC went calling to Wanda because, as we know, I think. Uh, in in America, the cinema business is going downhill, yeah. and AMC does ha- have a lot of debt, and I so I wouldn't be surprised if AMC was the were the people looking for a savior, trying to find a way to keep themselves float afloat. Hmm. And with Wanda Group, with China essentially building, um, was it thousands, literally thousands of screens every year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually courted Wanda into buying them up. Interesting. Uh, down at the bottom, it says Wanda says it intends to invest up to an additional five hundred million to fund AMC's strategic and operating initiatives. Could be like you said, you know, building malls. Yes. Uh, it also said that the deal is not expected to have any significant impact on AMC's eighteen thousand five hundred staff. So that if you're if you're out there listening, pimple faced popcorn guy, your job is secure. Right. And start learning Mandarin. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, China. all right um last little bit of news i mean is is this really news anymore you were saying it's kind of old already Uh, our buddy hero shahrukh khan of bollywood cinema got booted out of cricket uh for getting into an argument with uh with a referee i guess he was or was it security security guard yeah and uh apparently got into an argument there was a, there was a kid involved somehow and one one of the things i read said he was drunk but i, I don't know if that's confirmed or denied 
Um, but apparently he's been banned from the cricket court now for like years or something, right? Um, Shah Rukh Khan, you know, world famous icon. My name is Khan Rawan. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's it would be kind of like Andy Lau getting kicked out of a Cha Chan Tang, right? <laughs> <laughs> or or being banned from the from from Hong Kong soccer matches, which is okay because no one watches soccer in Hong Kong anymore. Uh, <laughs> at least at least live. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the story, the, the rumor in mean, the entertainment gossip that I I read was that he was defending a, a little girl who was being shoved by security guards. He he went over to straighten things over, and I guess he pulled some of his star clout, which. The, the the people uh, the management did not like hmm. so yeah that's essentially the new thing but apparently that thing is rolling over and now he's being summoned to court for smoking in public or something I I don't know it's just typical gossip rag and you know the big stars are always the most watched so poor Shaka Khan I'm sure he's a fine righteous man who just who just seems to be doing the wrong things with the right intentions yeah that's right I'm behind you SRK I'm behind you. All right, I think that's going to cover it for news. So without ado, let's uh, head on to talk about some movies. All right, we've got one film to talk about for East Screen this week, and that is the latest film from director Heem Ho uh, called The Floating City. Uh, Kevin, what can you tell us about The Floating City? Okay, Um, okay, Floating City is the... uh latest film from uh, Hong Kong New Wave director Yim Ho. Um, now, what, I, what defines a, a New Wave director? Is that a, a certain time period or is it a certain style? Oh, the Hong Kong New Wave uh, took place around the 70s and the 80s where um, an influx of essentially mostly Western-educated directors uh, came back to Hong Kong, uh, started out on TV, uh, which was actually the golden age of TV in Hong Kong because they were the most um, creatively driven. So... They leave. They 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 leave the the TV and go on to make some of the, essentially some of the best films in the seventies and eighties. En Hui, Trey Hark, um, who was Patrick Tam, uh, Johnny To came afterwards actually, but Yim um, Ho I guess. Uh, also Alex Chen uh, who made uh, Man on the Brink. Those are oh actually he's kind of later on. But anyway, yes, those are some of the best Hong Kong new wave directors out there. Um, Oh, also Alan Fong, uh, who did more kind of uh, cinema verite movies. But yeah, so that defines the Hong Kong new wave director. So Yim Ho is one of the, the he's kind of been less active over the years. I hear there were uh, health issues that were stopping him. He, his last film was A Westlake Moment in 2005, but even I've, I have no idea how to access that film. And he, most of his past films have essentially gone um, yeah, the, into the right right to the, the, the one before that was... Um... Floating landscape, right? <laughs> Am I correct in that? <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm not. I, I wish I had the the the, uh, the wiki page uh, lined up, but he, he did. You know, he worked alongside with you know directors like An Hui and 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 um, Patrick Tam when they were all at TVB. So you know, this is not. Uh, he's not you know nobody. You know, what I mean, the, oh, the day the sun turned cold, the sun has ears, which was nominated for a few awards. Kitchen in 1997. So you probably heard of uh, some of these films. Hmm. Um, this is his latest film. Uh, it stars Aaron Kwok as uh, Bo Wa Chun, uh, a fictional character, even though it's based on a true story. It's a fictional character uh, who is actually uh, part of the uh, group of people called the Tanka people. Uh, actually, the film 
critics them as uh, or the film subtitles critics them as a uh, um, egg people, which is actually the wrong translation. The Tanka people is actually the official name for them. Uh, they are a, a minority, a group of uh, people who live on boats, um, and essentially they're the minority of a minority. So they were actually very much looked down upon society because they were the most poor and the least educated. Uh, the the story, the film follows his life from um, his days when he was bought into a fishing family. Uh, the mother, the younger version of the mother, is played by Josie Ho, uh, and we follow his 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 uh, life as he grows up as a under in a poor fisherman family, and then uh, gets an education on land, uh, and then he gets a job at the fish also fictional East India was it in East India Trading Company, I think. Yes. Uh, yes, which is a fictional company uh, st- run by run by British uh, superiors. Uh, he goes in there and becomes an errand boy and, of course, works really hard at learning English, uh, even though he was um, looked down upon by his superiors. Um, actually, I just want to interject. It's a real company. East India Company? Yes. But actually, the company, I, I think the, the, the interview said that the, comp- the company that the real character was in is actually the Swire Group. Yeah, well, Swire, if, if I understand the history correctly, Swire um, is sort of evolved out of East India. Ah, okay. um, But East India was sort of the big uh trading company um back in the during the uh, uh opium wars and whatnot oh um, you know what because they added the word imperial I yeah it, it wasn't imperial called the imperial east, yeah so that imperial was the uh, east india trading yeah. company. yes so yeah anyway so he so he does you know like any big good underdog he he climbs his way up bit by bit bit by bit even though he was um discriminated for looking like a like a half half uh british person even though he's you know or fisherman, um, and then he married. He so the story also the, f- the film also follows his wife uh, Tai, played by Charlie Yun. Um, his mother, the older version, his mother is played by uh, Bao Heijing, uh, who was in uh, the way we are and who is the way we are. Um, and Annie Lil also plays um, a rich, a rich businesswoman who kind of gets involved with him. With him. So um, it's very much a, your typical biopic uh, about a man who, who overcomes the odds and you know becomes successful. Um, like I said, Tankup is about a minority of minority, which is kind of weird because considering the fact that they were looked down by most of Hong Kong society, not just British, not just you know British people, um, the film makes the Brits the, the, the villains anyway. Uh, the film has a very um, I wouldn't say revisionist, but you know your very typical kind of Hong Kong film in that you know it, it views the the, the the British as kind of these these uh, racist villains, um, even though there was one night well positive British character uh, Greg McGordo. Uh, is that a real real character, Paul? It seems. Uh, no, I think it's. Um, I, I I don't think that's a real real person from the company. Um, but part based on. A but based character. on yeah, based yeah. on one of the the former CEOs of the company. Okay, so Greg McGordo, uh, actually played by Gregory Rivers, uh, he he is uh, Bao Bao uh, Bo uh mentor. So he is the kind of the more one of the nicer uh, British uh, characters, and that is essentially Yim Ho's attempt at a quote unquote balanced portrayal of the colonial uh, the colony colonial period. Um, but of course, Yim Ho is actually a well known uh, left. Leftist, not a well-known leftist, but he did go to leftist school when he was young. His father ran a leftist newspaper, so he does kind of have, I think he does have sort of leftist leanings. Um, but the problem is, why can't a director from the Hong Kong New Wave, who studied in England, uh, direct English actors worth a damn? 
you, the, the, the problem is still here, where you have these these uh, English speaking actors who are who aren't really really delivering, who who aren't acting. You know, they aren't even passing. You know, especially the um, the man who plays uh, Dick, who is the villain, the villain boss of uh, of the company, and he's just kind of growling the entire time, and and he's 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 overplaying everything like like Mr. Twister all over again. And there's a director who speaks English, who studied in England, who know who should know how white people talk. I, I, yeah, I, I just don't understand it. Um, but anyway, for the rest of the cast, uh, Aaron Kwok tries his hardest. He, he he has a kind of a really tough character, you know, someone who has an identity crisis. But I think he's very much miscast because throughout the film, people mistaken him. You know, they they call him a half breed, and they and they they say he's mixed. There's even a scene where a Mandarin person, uh, a Mandarin speaking uh, tourist, walks up to Aaron and speaks in English as if he's seen a white person. But I'm looking at it, I just see like a Chinese person. I don't get it. <laughs> And and he really tries, but I think he doesn't have the 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 um, ability or the presence to carry off the the role of a poor fisherman. Uh, it just he's just not convincing. He's still Aaron Kwok. Um and and the film the film does play like it's been cut to bits. So Charlie Yuen's role uh, seems to be um, a part of that one of the victims. So her 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 performance has been cut to bits. She would be gone for long periods of time. One of the one of the main conflicts is actually uh, Bo and and Ty's marriage, um, but it seems to kind of resolve itself uh, during some point of the film. So now you have Charlie Yuen acting rabbit half the time. She is kind of overactive and or or really down on herself, and you don't really know who she is. Uh, for most of the time, it's a really strange character. Um, Annie Lil, who gets to actually act mostly in English, she I think she grew up in Los Angeles, so she has no excuse here. She's speaking English most of the time. She is a terrible actress in any language. She, I think she pulled off an Andy on viral factor performance here, um, where she's just not a natural actress, uh, even when speaking in her native language. It's a very strange uh, performance here. Um, like I said earlier, there are some serious narrative jumps. Um, there's a scene where uh, Bo and Ty kind of argue about uh, when they should get married because Bo wants to wants to get married to get a company accommodation, but Ty wants to um, wants to marry for love when it's the right time, not for company accommodation. And then the next scene, they're already married with two kids, as if the entire conflict just kind of rolled over. Um, and also, the first ten minutes is very terrible. Every you have you have you know. Aaron looking like he's from uh, Dexter or something, looking at himself in the mirror and going, what am I? Who am I? And then you know, the <laughs> lighting. It's like, it's like, this is going to be a serial killer movie, isn't it? And it would have made a better movie. Um, but it does kind of get into a groove once it, once it, once it gets going into its you know, typical um, narrative structure, more linear. Um, it does have very good moments, especially about how, um, how uh, Bo's mother uh, um, has to, with the choice that she makes in order to 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 keep the family uh, uh, to make the family let the family survive, um, but and I still like this better than Red Dust. Red Dust is the only other uh, the Bridget Lin film is the only other Yim Ho film that I saw and I hated it. So I was not looking forward to this one, and I th- I still I still think this one is better than Red Dust, even though Red Dust had Bridget Lin. Um, it's a very sincere film. It's a very um, mild nature film, um, but it's still not very good. I think. It, it kind of stumbles a lot throughout, and and you're feeling they didn't have the budget to do anything right, but they still kind of went their way and made tried to make the movie anyway. So I guess you, it's a gold star for effort. So just for that, I would say you know TV it. It's it's one of the more serious uh, Hong Kong movies, serious-minded Hong Kong movies to come uh, this year, and I guess it's worth the effort to watch it if you have it on TV or something. 
So, you know, it's okay. Paul? Yeah. Um, well, first, I, I was I found the, the overall arc of the film quite interesting because it is dealing with um, the, the East India Company, at least it's called the Imperial East India Trading Company here. Um, and as I mentioned, East India is a, is sort of a, a a real company that existed during the founding period of Hong Kong, and it was in part, you know, dealing with the opium trade and, and other things uh, that's centered around the tea trade. Now, I did a quick look up. It's not the company that I was thinking of. Um, it's not related to Swire. It was actually dissolved after a period of time, but it, it was a rival of, uh, I guess, uh, Jardines, which is still around in some way, shape, or form. And that was a company that was uh, fictionalized in the James Colavelle films, uh, Taipan and Noble House. And so if you're familiar with either of those films um, and sort of the the way, the history of Hong Kong that's fictionalized in those, this film is kind of similar. And in fact, it's kind of like a third act uh, to those films, even though it's not directly related, whereas... In Taipan, it's sort of about the founding of Hong Kong. Uh, Noble House is about was about modern Hong Kong in the in the sort of the 1980s. Um, and in in this, you're you're talking about East India Company, which technically isn't around in the modern era. Um, but you've got, like you mentioned, companies like Swire and, and Jardines and others that have 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 evolved and existed since that period. Um, and one of the things that you start to see is the shift in power from the British to uh, intermediaries or to Chinese leaders and leadership. And I found that sort of reflection of history, because again, it's not an accurate history, but the reflection of history, a very interesting thing to focus on, because that is, you, you do find things like that. There are there are some, if you read some history books, um, the one that pops to my mind is uh, uh, History of Hong Kong by Steve Zhang. If you're interested in, in history books, it's a really well-written book published by the University of Hong Kong that talks about some of these mixed, um, you know, they were like uh, mixed uh, individuals similar to Aaron's character. They were um, half Chinese and, and half British or half European who were able to sort of live in both worlds. And because of that, they ultimately came out as very, very success successful uh, towards the final era of, you know, the colonial period. Um, at the same time, this film sort of focuses on the struggle that Aaron as a character has. Um, and I didn't really find it all that interesting. Um, it's still, um, it, it's kind of, you, you, you kind of know what's going to happen. You've seen these kind of things before in other places, sometimes done a little bit better. I think what I would have liked to have seen is some really nice cinematography. One of the big problems early on is they're showing like the boats out at sea, excuse me, and it's all CG and it looks really fake. Um, and there's a couple shots of like the fishing boat, you know, in the sunset and it just, it, it looked kind of fake. There's other shots, you know, in Hong Kong where they've got some background CG going on and that, that looks a little bit better, but I wish they would have really focused on the lives of the fisher folk more. Yes, you know, the Tonka people, yeah. And, and showing what they do, showing them going out to fish, really taking it as an opportunity to show a cinematic spectacle from, the, from the, you know, using really good cinematography for, for some of that, real cinematography, not cheap CG. I think that would have been a much more interesting story. Um, 
than, than what we were kind of given, which was sort of going through the paces of, you know, this character's rise, his attempt to educate himself, which was all fine, but it was Aaron. And Aaron, um, <laughs> you know, somebody once said, well, what was the movie that, that he did? Um, I can't remember. You know, Aaron, Aaron is good in certain moments, but for a lot of times he just comes off as stoic. Um, and that's how I kind of saw him here. You know, it's like you said, he looks in the mirror and he's just like, who am I? And he's kind of stoic. And then he's got these scenes with some of the other people and he's just kind of there and he's kind of in the scene and he's taking what's being thrown at him. He does have some nice moments there. I think that some of the moments that he has with, um, with, uh, with Nina Bao as his mom was really great. Um, that, that had some nice moments. The Charlie Young character, I do agree, she needed more. They really needed more focus on his you know, his current day family. Um, I wanted to see more about that. Uh, that seemed like it was cut or it was rushed or there wasn't enough focus. Uh, Gregory Rivers was great to see him, you know, again, as the character Greg McCordle. Um, you know, he was, he's sort of the, t he was at one time the TVB go-to guy. They've got another guy now. Um, Brian Burrell. Yeah, Brian Burrell. And, and somebody was saying that they were surprised they didn't pull him out for this movie as well um so but it was nice to see him on the screen again he's um he's filling the role well and he's he's not really using his uh his linguistic skills which he's known for here he's doing uh sort of straight up english uh and he was okay fake british accent yeah. fake british accent yeah that so. no, no, was all right <laughs> um uh um but uh the other guy we i don't new guy that they had playing this guy named uh, what was his name dick dick yeah dick and uh you know, the name fits the character, for sure. Mm. Um, but he was kind of over the top. He gets the Mr. Twister Award for uh, 2012 so far. Um, but the problem with this film is there's no real adversity, though. Even that guy, he, he was a douche, he was a jerk, but, you know, he really wasn't a, an antagonist, you know. Um, and, and in some ways, he kind of did help uh, Aaron Kwok's character. But he was just a jerk about it. Um, the biggest adversity the characters basically face is their own poverty. Uh, and, and Aaron has some temptation from the Annie Loy character at one point and, you know, decides he's going to be the best man ever, which is good. Um, but it it really needs, because it doesn't really have a central, pro, you know, antagonist uh, to work against, it really needs more focus on the family, more moments with the family, um, rather than just, you know, jumping around saying, oh, we're poor, what do we do? Or we're poor, what do we do? Um but for the most part, it was better than I expected, for sure. Uh, and I'd say for Hong Kong history buffs, definitely see it. Because although you can get the sense that this is kind of pointing at the British and saying, you know, oh, colonialism's bad. At the same time, it's not really that that message isn't that strong. It's saying, OK, this was a this was a bad period if you were Chinese, for sure. But at the same time, the British did do some some good works we'll say um in terms of things like you know infrastructure and and opportunities and 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 you know bringing some some aspects of western civilization to the the doorstep of hong kong or the doorstep of china if you will and that enabled people like you know uh lee ka sing and and others to uh make their fortunes as as a result you know um, and, you know, if you have a capitalist or, you know, a, a sort of a Western idea about what success should be, you would look at that and say, good, right? Of course, if you're on, on the more social side, uh, on, the, on the more 
uh, leftist side, I guess, you would look at that and say, oh, that's, you know, bad, bad, bad. Um, but that's a little bit too political. And the film is really not that political, not, not as much as other films. I mean, how would you compare this with, um, what was the big one, uh, with, uh, Simon Yam and Sandra? Mm. Um, oh, Echoes of the Rainbow. Yeah, Echoes of the Rainbow, which was, which, which was a lot more political than this film. In a way, it's what much more outright, outright critical of the colonial uh, colonial Hong Kong. Yeah, and and yes. and and to the point where it was inaccurately so, you know, in some ways, um, where I think this is just a story, and it's based on some aspects of 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 fiction, also some aspects of reality, and it's put together fairly well. Um, so I'd say if, if you're a Hong Kong history buff, definitely see it. Um, you know, others would would TV it. Sure. And you know what? Actually, I was talking to Kozo about this movie today, and he is right. It is a very Hong Kong story. Yes. It's solely a Hong Kong story. It's a very unique Hong Kong story. And I think for that, we can give it even a little more credit than it deserves. Yes. Because it is a very rare Hong Kong only story. And it comes um, on the, actually, this year is the 15th anniversary of the Hanover. Yeah. So it is in some way timely. And um, we haven't had many really local. The, there, there is one moment uh, where they're. Uh, that, that sticks out where they're introducing uh, Aaron Kwok's character to the Chinese flag. Yes, but and, uh, yeah, that is, I think that is from Yim Ho's uh, uh, experience because yeah. he went to leftist schools. Yeah. So, yes, that actually, yeah, I, I, Tim, Tim, who was supposed to be on the show tonight, Tim Young's, uh, he, he actually did mention that, yes, it's part of just from Yim Ho's own childhood rather than some kind of, you know, China, China sucking up, so to speak. <laughs> Well, you know, in the Hong Kong Dave in the chat room mentions uh, the film A Simple Life. And this film seems like it wants to be a simple life in, in a couple places, especially dealing with the mother character. Um, but it's, I would say it's just not really there in terms of the quality, but it's still a, a pretty good film. Well, yeah, style-wise, it's, it's, it's similar because they are both, uh, both Anhui and Yimho are, 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 are um, new wave directors, so they come from similar backgrounds. But the film, actually, Floating City, to be fair, Floating City was, has, uh, I think was produced two years ago, yeah. so before Simple Life was actually known. So we don't have to worry too much about that. And uh, just in case you're going to plan to write in, please don't. I do know that The Floating Landscape wasn't directed by the Yimho. That was my poor attempt at humor because... Before you can have a city, you need a landscape, right? Okay. And and Eakin. <laughs> yes, Eakin makes everything better. Um, but also coming from this film, we do have a subtitle of the week. So let me play this. What? 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 Huh? This week in subtitles. Is that right? This week in this film, The Floating City, there was a line where they said, how can you stand this crab? And, and it course, was in English. It actually, was in English. Yeah. Annie Lewis said, how can you stand this crab? Yeah, and they got the subtitle wrong. So how can you stand this crab? Of course, it it makes sense. We're dealing with fishermen. So, you know, maybe they're used to crab on a daily basis. And you know what? We're on to you, subtitler. We know you're from you're, we know you're from America because you wrote Nico and Dime and Gringos. So we know you're from America. You watch out. Are you We're sure all... you didn't do this? I swear I didn't do it. I would not write egg people. I would just freaking Wikipedia the damn thing and write Tonka. Mm. Sorry, that's that's Mad Kevin talking. <laughs> mad Kevin for the win. Yeah. All right, let's move on and talk about some West Screen film. West Screen. Oh. All right, we have one West Screen film for this week, and that is the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. And if that sounds like a mouthful, well, it is. 
because this movie is kind of a mouthful too. It's got a huge cast, pretty much uh, anybody and everybody who's somebody in uh, British uh, acting circles is in this film, at least over the age of what, 60? Um, the, the basic plot here is that uh, seven British uh, elderly retirees, mostly, um, find that for various reasons they're, prob they're having financial problems and personal problems, and they are looking for a place to retire. And the Brit Britain has just got too expensive. You know, they're doing austerity measures and all this other stuff, and it's just too expensive to live there. So they decide that they're going to outsource their retirement, and they are uh, taken up uh, and off to India to stay at the newly restored Marigold Hotel, um, where they're promised a life of leisure, but of course when they arrive... Things aren't exactly what they were advertised. Um, so that's the basis of the movie. You know, it's a fish-out-of-water story, except with senior citizens, basically, um, who arrive at this hotel. The hotel is run uh, by a young man whose uh, family owned the hotel, and he is and his father owned it, and he is trying to restore it. His name is Sonny, played by Dev Patel, who you'll remember from uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, the film stars Judy Dench as Evelyn, a woman who's a widower and who's now trying to find her way now that her husband has passed away. Uh, Bill Nighy as uh, Douglas and his wife, played by Penelope Wilton as Jean. Uh, a couple, again, who are looking for a place to retire. Um, and because they've lost their fortune on their daughter's, uh, their daughter's uh, internet uh, web experiment, uh, they've got no money. Uh, or they've got very limited money, so they end up uh, moving to this place. Uh, Maggie Smith is a crotchety old lady who needs a hip replacement, and so she's there in part for medical tourism. And Tom Wilkinson is uh, Graham, a person who uh, is an ex-judge who's retired, and he's now, um, he, he at one time lived in India, so he had some experience there as a young boy, and he's now returning to try and uh, find someone from his past. Um, and then uh, there's a guy named Norman who's sort of like a, an old, uh, how would you describe him, sort of an old sex pot um, who's just looking for a pickup. And Madge, who's a woman who's had multiple husbands and is looking for the next one in line. So you've got a variety of different characters, um, all with different personalities. And there's probably somebody here that you'll relate to that 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 you see and you go, yeah, that's that's my grandma or yeah, that's my mom or... Um, yeah, that's somebody I know. So you'll be able to identify with at least a couple of these characters. Um, Dev Patel is really great. He's sort of the the overly energetic uh, comedic relief, for the most part, uh, of the film. Some might consider that his role is a little bit too stereotyped. Um, and I, I kind of got that sense, but over the course of the film, it, he develops into a little bit more of a three-dimensional character, but he really sort of starts out as a as a, as a very stereotypical character. Um, I was reading the Roger Ebert review for the film, and he mentioned... Um, um, did he mention Are You Being Served or Faulty Towers? One of the, one of the British series um, that, that kind of brings back the same elements here um, with you know the host and, and taking care of, of, of clients. Um, the great thing here is the great chemistry amongst all the cast members. It's really... Um, really, really outstanding. Uh, there, you know, these are all pretty much heavy hitters, and they're all fantastic. Uh, um, I, I, 
you know, if you like, if you don't like these people, if you don't like seeing old people on screen, why go watch this movie? Um, but if you're somebody like me who really enjoys, you know, some of the, some of these folks, I mean, especially you got, you know, Judy Dench and some of these others who have very traditional Shakespearean backgrounds from them for some of them, uh, a couple of them been in thing, geeky things like Dr. Who. Right. Um, so all around great casting. Um, but it's a happy go lucky film. It's very much a film in the vein of outsourced, which is another great, you know, smaller film that I recommend with very similar themes. If you haven't seen it, um, of course, that led to the TV series that lasted for one season, which was also really good. Um, I'd recommend that to anybody who hasn't seen it. But the film, uh, definitely very good, very funny. Um, but the problem is, is of course, it doesn't really, because it's so lighthearted, it doesn't really take a very serious look at. Um, you know, some of the problems of India, some of the poverty. And I mean, it does touch on uh, some, some things like the caste system a little bit, but you know, it sort of keeps it light and, and it, it keeps it whimsical and it makes you think, oh yeah, maybe when I get old and I can't afford to live in the U S or I can't afford to live in Hong Kong, I'll retire to India. Right. Um, but for, for the most part, it's fun. It's enjoyable. It would have been great as a full on Bollywood musical, I would have loved to have seen uh, Dame Judy Gen- Judy Dench do uh, a Bollywood song in it, uh, and you know where's Shah Rukh Khan when you need him, right? I mean, he should be here as you know coming in to save the day at the last minute or something. I don't know. Um, I loved it. It's definitely a see it in in my book. Um, Kevin, what was your thought? Um, actually, I identify with the with Maggie Smith, the racist old lady, <laughs> not not as a, not as my grandmother, but as myself. Because mm. <laughs> no, you need um, a hip replacement, right? Well, no, because I'm so racist. <laughs> but seriously, uh, yes. That's why real... you wouldn't sit next to me in the theater. Gosh darn well, it. Well, no, that's because I'm terribly attracted to you, Paul, and I don't want to show. <laughs> well, wait a minute now. What's the deal? You told me you had a date Saturday night. It wasn't with me. <laughs> yes, I felt guilty. That's what I felt like I was cheating on you. But anyway, okay. Uh, yes, like you said, seriously, great ensemble of really great British actors. Um, Judy Dench is like you see her play, you know, like a regular person. Um, and and I was surprised Helen Mirren wasn't in this. Um, but anyway, yeah, really, that's who was missing, right? Uh, Helen yes, Mirren. Helen Mirren. I, apparently, apparently, Peter O'Toole was supposed to be in this movie, mm. but uh, but but couldn't make it or something. I don't know, maybe you couldn't make the flight. Um, but yeah, Bill Nye, Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, Tom Wilkinson, all, all great. Uh, Doc Patel, really pleasant surprise. He, he's kind of like, he's a little bit Uncle Tomish in the, I think, in the first half. Yeah. But his character really, like I said, did, does come into to his own uh, towards the second half. Um, hey, all mentions of colonial life skipped over. <laughs> But Miley dealt with Miley dealt with the Tom Wilkinson character because he he lived in India while during the period. Um, but of course, the whole thing, like you said, the poverty in India totally skipped over. Very much cultural tourism, in the way that you know, a character goes to a temple and feels you know refreshed, and they talk about you know uh, eating Indian food. And yeah, everything. I haven't I haven't seen it, but you know, uh, I, I kept thinking, is this like the the geriatric version of Eat, Pray, Love, right? <laughs> right, right. It, it, it's it, and, and of course, some of the stuff that you know the Indian character does is a little. It feels kind of more westernized than than real, you know, authentic Indian characters. But you know, that's kind of a mild uh, thing. You you do what you are watching it for the British characters, and it is from their point of view, so you can kind of understand it. Um, the film is very enjoyable. It's kind of it balances the comedy and the drama very well. Um, actually, I think I like the Tom Wilkinson character the best. Um, I, just because the presence he has on screen and and the the way that 
his character carries himself as such a great character. Yeah, you um, really want. I really, you really want to see more of him. Right. Yeah. You really want a movie with just him, actually, and and his his big emotion moment really worked really well, and he really does his story really did felt like there was some drive to it. Um, and I think, the, yeah, like I was saying, the elements were both were very well balanced. I can see why it's been a huge hit worldwide, uh, including America, which has actually it's been climbing up the top of the climbing up the box office chart very progressively the last couple of weeks, um, and and keeping the same per screen average, which is very impressive, especially for a film that that I haven't seen any you know online talk about it. You know, uh, Twitch hasn't talked about it. So so you know it's it's very. So it kind of tells you that you know these that you know real word of mouth films, uh, real live, human to human word of mouth does work. That you know it's not all about you know net net talk and genre films. Um, so you know it's a very enjoyable film, and I'm very glad to have seen it. Um, even though I'm just some 28 year old kid who knows nothing about retirement and or India or British people. Um, so yeah, see it, definitely see it. It's great. And yes, um, I I kind of do appreciate they didn't go the Bollywood way, because in a way it's too stereotypical. Even though yes, a big a cameo by a big Bollywood star would have I think really helped. Would have made it enjoyable, extra that extra level. <laughs> yeah, um, just to see you know Dame Judi Dench uh, belt a couple out and and you know bust a move would have been worth it. Yeah, or Maggie Smith, you know, busting. A- <laughs> yeah, well, she was gonna bust a hip if she did anything, <laughs> right? Um, but she was heading in that direction. You know, yeah. she was about. You know, it seems like she was gonna do it. Yeah, enjoyed um, it a lot. Worth seeing, definitely. All right. It's time for this. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> it's time for this. It's still not working. What the heck? It's still not time for... Time of silence. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to edit now. Dang it. All right. <laughs> Do it live. Go. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Well, I think that's going to do it uh, for a show, folks. We didn't get any comments this week, and I don't have a video pick for this week. I've got one in the tube for next week. I just haven't had a chance to sit down and check out all the special features for it. Um, But hopefully for next week, we'll be doing the DVD of Love Lifting a little bit more in detail. So that'll be uh, for episode 111. Uh, Until then, uh, no comments, so let me play this. We've seen some strange things tonight. Strange creatures that we know don't belong on our planet. God only knows where they came from. Yes, God indeed. Um, If you would like to be a part of the show, uh, you can always find us over at our website at congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can find out information on when we're scheduling our live stream, so you can look us up on uh, YouTube. or, Or, sorry, Ustream, not YouTube. We're not on YouTube yet, maybe in the future. Um, of course, you can also join the comments section there. You can uh, leave us some comments, some feedback, anything you'd like to do to get involved in and get talking about some of the films we're talking about here. Uh, of course, if you can ask questions and uh, 
you know, uh, give us some give us some comments to talk about here as well. Uh, iTunes as well. You can find us on iTunes. We'd love for you to go over and leave us a review or two over there. Uh, Twitter, twitter.com slash concast to follow along with the show. Twitter.com slash foxlore if you're interested in my rants about not being able to uh, play Diablo 3 and other stuff. Or, more interestingly, twitter.com slash thegoldenrock to follow Kevin and some of the more interesting movie-related information that he uh, comes across and, and discusses from time to time. If you'd like to email us directly at the show, it is uh, Gmail. That is eastscreen at gmail.com. You can, again, send us comments, send us criticisms, uh, send us a short review or a short audio file, and we'll just, we might just play it here on the show. If you are iTunes-averse, you can catch us over on Stitcher. Uh, you can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry. Do they still have Blackberries? Or your WebOS phones. Uh, Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. I'm sorry, BlackBerry people. I'm just teasing. Uh, Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support. Uh, Kevin, what do you got going on this week? Anything exciting? Anything big? Anything new? Um, well, okay, I'll just be writing reviews. Yeah. I'll just be writing reviews for LoveIsJFilm.com. I have a few reviews that were still waiting to be written now that I've done with my translation work. And also, of course, episodes of Games of Thrones. Finally, finally, time to get on that. Well, um, well, well, which episode are you at? I just finished three. I oh, shoot, you're, you're like way, way behind. behind. I'm like two weeks. There's two more episodes waiting in the HBO On Demand, so I got to catch up on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I'll, I'll be on Twitter. I just watched episode eight. Uh, during lunch today and i gotta say i don't know about this season no i don't know uh, i'm enjoying it a lot it, 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 it lacks it lacks focus because Ness stark is gone my, but well my problem is is that every every scene seems to be playing out as you know it's a couple people talking right it's it'll it, it's and and they're very well crafted scenes you know you get uh um you know like um uh, Cersei and and uh, and uh, Peter Dinklage, right? I can't remember his character. Uh, uh, you know, they've got some great moments, and then uh, you you have um, you know the guy up north, and he's talking with his buddy uh, Jon Snow, and 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 everybody's got like it's a lot of one to one dialogues, and the scenes are really great, but they're I'm not seeing any action payoff. They're really cheaping, cheapening out on the uh, the action payoffs this season for some reason. I just well, even in season one, you never saw the battles. Yeah, yeah, that's so. true. I just I don't know. I'm but they're I, heading I, heading there, right? They're still heading there. Well, that, you know, the, the two episodes to go, a short season. So hopefully, you know, they're building to bigger things. Um, you know that that's what I'm hoping for. But um, taking a kind of a long way to get there. Again, I don't know anything from the books, so. I'm sure I'm missing out on on a lot, but just from a a person who's not familiar with the books, looking at it from a sort of a straightforward TV perspective, they kind of I kind of get the feeling that they're just stringing me along, um, and, and and it's starting to feel just a little bit repetitive. Still a great show though, still love it. Um, so yeah, Game of Thrones almost over. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. And then it's the new Aaron Sorkin show, The Newsroom. So that's that's something. To look when is to. is that started? June 24th. Mm. So that's coming after Game of Thrones. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of big stuff coming for the summer. Yep. Uh, Futurama. Super excited about that. Um, all right. Yeah. Anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> for movie stuff, uh, you'll be writing some reviews and stuff. And I think uh, we might have some uh, Love Hong Kong Film Awards coming out sometime later this week, weekend or something. 
Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, head over to love, Hong Kong lovehkfilm.com uh, to check out uh, some of the awards being given out there for films of 2011. Uh, let me throw a big thanks out to Rob Gobbers for our theme from Snauzer Studios, uh, Ross Chen from Love Hong Kong Film, lovehkfilm.com uh, for keeping us out and going to movie nights. And of course, if you are in Hong Kong and you're interested in attending a movie night, uh, you can head over to the website and it's, well, I'll, I post some of the schedule there. And if you're interested, just drop us a line and we'll tell you how you can uh, come out and watch a film with us. Of course, let me thank Kevin, the K-Man, for sticking with me for 110 episodes now. And of course, you, the listeners, for being out there each and every week to listen to us ramble on. Uh, next show, episode 111, 111, we're going to be talking about bad girls. Now, is this the bad girls that most people know? Now, sadly, it's only category 2A, so we don't expect much badness, except yeah. for actually quality of the film. Is it, are they going to have a theme song? Bad girls, bad girls. There is what a, yes, yes. Do? Ella does sing a song called Bad Girls. Yeah. <laughs> but not, not, not your Anita Or is it, isn't there, isn't there a, uh, is it Diana Ross or Donna Summer? Bad girls. Do, 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 do. No, that's 1970s, right? I shouldn't sing. Sorry. Um, we should play it. We should play Donna Summer. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, also, Men in Black 3 this week, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're you gonna go out to see that? Oh, definitely. Okay. I, I kind of like. All right. So a uh, couple, couple of uh, one East screen, one West screen film, and maybe a video for next week. Hopefully, if everything goes well, all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East screen, West screen, wishing you good viewing, and if you're playing Diablo, good gaming, and we will see you next week. See you next week, everybody. Uh-huh.